From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Freeman Report with James Freeman on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to the Freeman Report, which puts the world's leading scientists, doctors, politicians and expert commentators right at the heart of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty and justice. Um, I'm your host. My name is James Freeman. Um, It's Monday, the 5th of February 2024. And on today's show, I'll be discussing the UK Independence Party, a.k.a. UKIP, with broadcaster and activist Lois Perry, who is one of the front runners to be the next leader of the party. Now, UKIP, of course, reached its greatest level of success in the mid-2010s when it gained two members of parliament, both through defections from other parties. Um, it was the largest UK party representing the UK in the European Parliament at the time. And it also gained um, seven seats, I think, in the Welsh Assembly, as it was then, and lots of council seats up and down the UK. The current party leader is former Conservative MP Neil Hamilton, who's been in place since 2020. Now, I think it's clear to me that the party definitely needs to make some changes if it is to remain relevant. But the big question is, what changes should it make? And this is the question that I'll be putting to Lois and asking her what direction she wants to take the party in if she wins the leadership race. In terms of the rest of this week on the Freeman Report, tomorrow I'll be welcoming back TikToker Dale Penny to the show to discuss news stories from around the world. Then on Wednesday, I'll be discussing the upcoming court case for Julian Assange with Assange activist Matt O'Brien. This is an incredibly important news story for TNT. Um, I guess for starters, Julian is an an Australian citizen, um, which is where TNT station is based. But more importantly, the Assange case is the litmus test for journalism across the Western world. It has become that now. Last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February the 20th and 21st. Uh, just just a couple of weeks away um, at the UK High Court. And this will determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. And we'll be there to cover the story. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice, broadcasting and covering events as they unfold. Now, as I've said, the Assange case is pivotal for journalism and free speech more generally, because Julian is being persecuted for revealing war crimes, for uncovering our government's dirty little secrets, which by the way, for any government agents watching this now, this is the very thing we're supposed to do. Journalists are supposed to hold power to account. That is the whole point of journalism in a democracy. It is the so-called fourth estate. Its function in a democracy is to provide balance to power that ensures the powerful are kept in check and do not run roughshod over the rest of us. Journalism is also the canary in the coal mine. It doesn't really work if we're only allowed to report on the things that the powerful give us permission to report on. 
which is why the Assange case is at the heart of the question, do we even live in a free democracy anymore? If Julian is extradited and sentenced for the crime of telling the truth about illegal things our governments were doing, then the answer is a square no. It would be an official declaration that free speech is dead in the West. That is why TNT will be covering the case later this month and why all of you should support TNT in that mission. So, as we get closer to the date, please help us get the word out by sharing posts on social media that we put out and also tell your friends and family to make sure they're watching TNT. Other topics I'll be touching on this week include heart attacks. They're certainly on the rise in the UK and elsewhere, and governments have no idea why it's happening, or at least that's what they're saying. Like me, all of you know what's going on. Um, we know what is causing them. But what is treatment like in the NHS? Are patients getting the right advice? They're certainly not getting the right advice in terms of what medicines to take. But are they getting the right advice after having a heart attack? Are they even being fed the right food while in hospital? Well, According to Dr. Tim Kelly, no, they are not. He posted the pitch, a picture over the weekend of desserts that his patients are being offered um, during their stay in NHS hospitals following a heart attack. And I have to say that the food in the picture is what some people would actually call a heart attack on a plate. This is, of course, a wider issue for all patients staying in hospital. So to discuss the rise in heart attacks more generally and the care that people are getting after an attack, I'm delighted that Dr. Tim Kelly has agreed to appear on the show. Now, I've also asked Sammy Woodhouse to come back on the show um, as when she was on two weeks ago, it was clear that we had so much more to discuss um, about the police and the councils and the political cover-ups related to the grooming gangs. I'll also be looking for a guest, so if you know anyone, please do email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. Um, I'll also be looking for a guest to talk about NHS patient passports um, this week, as the Times is reporting that the public back the idea of putting all of our medical records in one place digitally, so that lots of different government agencies can access our records more easily. Can I see the benefits? Yes, of course I can. Um, it would be great um, if it was all in our interests. Do I think this is what's driving things? No, I don't. I suspect the reason they want to do this is those so that government can monitor people more closely and make it easier to sell the data to corporate interests. So that is a whole show's topic, I think, given the worries that we all have now about mandating medicines and the, how the government would monitor and enforce that. As I said just a second ago, if you want to get in touch, email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And if you want to join in the conversation, um, I definitely encourage you to do that. Get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's news talk, TNT. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. Vilifying MAGO is just not going to work. Today's news talk radio, TNT. Hello, Gemma. 
Hello there, James. Yeah, the Julian Assange stuff, you know, it's such a litmus test for freedom of speech, you know, government control over freedom of speech and and not least the human toll that it has taken now on, on Julian Assange because only a few weeks ago his lawyer said, you know, if he loses his, his appeal, he's in very grave danger of, of taking his own life. There's only one, well, he's only one man, there's only so much pressure you can take when you're in somewhere like Belmarsh, HMP Belmarsh, one of the toughest prisons in the UK. I mean, he's got global support and he's got people working in his favour and tirelessly campaigning and you know, Misty Winston on this very channel. She's been such a tireless supporter and activist in terms of the Assange case. Uh, and, and she's done great work. But when you're banged up in solitary, it's, it has an effect on your mental health. And even Anthony Albanese, hasn't he? He's waded in and he said, listen, enough's enough. Just let, let, let him go. Bring him back to, we'll bring him back to Australia, anything. Just he's an Australian citizen. He's, he's served time for, for something that, you know, is it, it, telling the truth, like enough is enough. But I think they really want to make an example of him for the rest of us, don't they? Yeah, and of course, I missed out that in my introduction. This is a personal story um, for someone as well, because, you know, our governments for, for many, many years have pointed to China and Russia saying, you know, if you don't want to get bundled into the back of a van and taken away never to be a scene again, don't live in those countries. Well, Junior Assange has been prosecuted of nothing, um, yet he's been, um, you know, he was obviously he went to the embassy um, and he was there for a number of years um, with the government um, not being able to get hold of him. But he's now been in high security prison, Balmosh, for, I don't know, a long time now, um, several years, um, and he's been prosecuted of nothing. It is absolutely ridiculous um, that he is in jail. So there is a personal story. He's got a wife, he's got kids. Um, there is a personal story to this as well as the more wider question over journalism and free speech. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to imagine we are journalists, you know, I've been a journalist my entire career. I'm a pretty strong character, as I'm sure you've ascertained. But how would I how would I cope? With the, with that thrust upon me, you're coping with the injustice of it. You're coping with the fear of it. You're coping with the with the privation aspect of it. So I think he's been in solitary the whole time. Um, and what that does to a character, um, you know, it's testament to the man that he's actually still here. And I think that's due down to the level of global support that he's garnered. And that's why you know it's brilliant that that will be there in London uh, on those days of the appeal, and and we will be able to cover it and and gain reaction from outside the court and and see the support that he has got. Yeah, and let's just remind ourselves again, because it, it, it is shocking, isn't it, that somebody in the UK, the United Kingdom, which is supposed to be a Western democracy where free speech and justice is for all, um, we have somebody who has been in prison for years, in high security prison, and he hasn't even been prosecuted. And also the accusation against him is that he was telling the truth about illegal stuff that our governments were doing. Um, it really is quite shocking. Um, I know, I mean, I think it's worth just repeating that again, because I think this has been going on for so long now that people, oh yeah, Julian Assange, yeah, it's another story. Well, it's not. Um, this is, you know, a real, it's pretty disgraceful, um, to be honest with you, um, a blot, I think, on our country's um, reputation around the world. Mm, but we're, you know, we have a special relationship with America, don't we, James? And uh, what America yeah. wants, whether it's invade, helping protect the Red Sea, helping invade in the Middle East, America wants us to do something. Well, you know, what's it? Wag the dog and all of that. You know, you know well, that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, the land of the free, eh? Yeah.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but talking of uh, never being seen again, I have got an update for you on the the chemical attack uh, uh, suspect who's on the run now. We're in, we're halfway through uh, the fifth day of the manhunt for um, the Afghan national who was granted asylum here in the UK despite being convicted of sexual offences uh, years prior. But Abdul Azedi uh, is on the run still, and just in the last few hours, uh, a senior, a former counterterrorism officer, has today said he's either taken his own life or more likely uh, he's being protected by uh, the Afghan community here in the UK. They've taken him under their wing and we may never see this man again. That's why there's been a reward for £20,000 issued for information leading to this man's arrest. They think they've got strong suspicions he's being protected. He's being held somewhere with like-minded people um, and they're hoping that that amount of money will be enough to tempt one of them to kind of, you know, approach the police, maybe even anonymously, but to give them a tip-off, which will lead to arrest. Um, The woman that he allegedly attacked with a corrosive substance um, is still in hospital in a critical condition with potentially life-changing injuries. The children's injuries weren't as bad. This is obviously the attack that happened last Wednesday at Clapham in London. Um, It's just interesting that they're they're coming out and saying he's likely to be protected because we talk about, you know, immigration and asylum a lot on TNT uh, and the implications. Obviously, it was only last year, at the tail end of last year, we had that stabbing in in Dublin and that that ignited riots across that that part of the the capital there in Ireland. Um, But clearly there's a kind of underworld of of, of people sticking together here because he's, he's come out quite strongly saying, you know, the most likely scenario is that he is being protected and he's being he's being hidden and he's being kept safe, which does beg the question: Will we ever see this man again, and will he be brought to justice? So that's the that's the latest line on this. I mean, we're halfway through the fifth day now here in the UK. That's quite a long time for somebody to be on the run, uh, and obviously we live in a surveillance culture here in, in in Britain, so it's quite difficult to stay anonymous and under the radar. As we again, we've talked about that aspect of our society. So he could have gone for good. He could be gone for good, and in the meantime, you've got a poor woman with life changing injuries uh, recovering hopefully well in hospital yeah it certainly isn't um easy i should imagine to um to go on the run and 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 stay on the run for very long um with the all the surveillance equipment that police have got these days um what's the ongoing story because this 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 guy um he was actually um convicted wasn't he of or accused i forget exactly of, of a sexual crime back in 2018 um He'd obviously been given citizenship. Have there been what's the what's the talk around that? What the discussion that's going on now that now that we know that? Well, he was granted, I think, citizenship in 2018, despite the fact that two years previous, in 2016, he was convicted of a sexual assault and exposure. Right, but the. The um the granting of the asylum was due to the fact that he converted to Christianity. Uh, he'd already tried twice to uh, gain asylum to the UK as an Afghan national, and he was turned down twice. Then it, the conversion to Christianity meant that if he was sent back to Afghanistan, he would have been persecuted under religious grounds, uh, and that's really what's caused the furore today uh, uh, m- more now than the, um, the 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 convictions for sexual assault, because it has emerged subsequently that forty uh, asylum seekers on the Bibby Stockholm barge. Uh, uh, trying to convert to Christianity and being taken out into the community, endorse it and taken to church under under Christian leaders. And and they're renouncing their old religions and converting to Christianity. And some are saying it's a scam because if you convert to Christianity, it means you can't be deported back to countries that will persecute Mm. you. Some are are saying it's in good faith and they truly want to give their lives over to Jesus. Uh, Some are saying, don't be naive. This is just a scam to stay in the UK. That's the debate that's raging today. But what's happening and right now as we speak is this man is still on the run. 
five days. He must be getting fed and watered somewhere. Um, and the counterterrorism former senior officer is saying he's he's being hidden. He's being protected. Yeah, we really have got to toughen up as a country, I think, haven't we? I mean, it's like it's just like all of those um, that didn't want to be put on the barge suddenly saying that they get seasick um, and they've got to, you know, they ha it's a problem they've had for years. Um, it seems like somebody's advising these people. I hadn't even um, gauged that that was why he... Um, why he converted to Christianity, I thought it was just to convince the board, but actually it was so that he can't be sent home to his home country. That's pretty shocking, really, particularly um, when somebody is actually being convicted of a sexual crime to be given UK citizenship. So, yeah, I mean, that 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 for me is, a, the, I mean, it's a terrible thing that's happened, but that's the big question mark we've got here. We've got to sort this out and we've got to sort this out quickly because the, we cannot have the government giving citizenship to people that are going to harm other UK citizens. It really, really um, is quite shocking that that happened. Um, Gemma, thank you for that story. Um, to the rest of you, don't go anywhere because after this short break, we'll be talking all about UKIP. And actually, I can bring up this topic um, with Lois Perry, who is one of the um, candidates in the race. She is one of the front runners to be the next leader of UKIP. So, Stay tuned for that in a moment, right here on TNT. TNT's Mark Morano. This just in, we have a new way that's proven effective in dealing with climate protesters who deign to block highways, streets, and other public areas. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this appears to be the most effective way. We have a, uh, we have a field shot, a correspondent on the scene. Let's go to clip four and take a look at how to deal with climate protesters when they block your way on your morning commute. I don't want to see protests shut down, but obviously when you're blocking traffic and you're doing that, you need to be dealt with. I thought this was a great vigilante way of dealing with it. Mark Morano on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also helped kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Right now, unless you've been living under a rock, you'll know that we've got lots of elections coming up this year across the world. In fact, I think there's over 140 le elections going to be taking place this year. And one of them will be in the UK. Um, obviously, we're due to have a general election this year. Um, my next guest is actually one of the front runners um, for one of the parties that will be standing in that election. I am talking about UKIP and Lois Perry. Hello, Lois. How are you doing? 
Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really excited good. to have you, you on the show. Me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on the show. Um, we can talk all about you, Kip, your your race, um, uh, the, the, your campaign to become party leader. Personally, I think you're absolutely mad going into politics, <laughs> the way things are these days. Um, well, I think, I think but... that ship has sailed, James. I think we all know I'm completely mad um, in a good way. I'm, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm, I'll tell you what, um, I'm mad about what's happening to this country at the moment. And um, I think we'll probably have a chance to talk a bit more about that during this interview. And that's why I'm standing. That's why I want to be leader of UKIP. I've had enough. I really have. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have. Someone needs to stand up for Britain. And I. it's going to be Absolutely. Right, Lewis. Now, um, Lois, sorry. Lois. Um, you, you've... Um, Lois, Lois, um, <laughs> Lois, you, you've done quite a lot already. You know, you're um, you're you're known to the British public already. You've done broadcasting. You also did some really good activism around climate change as well. Would you mind just quickly um, sort of introducing yourself for those who maybe because this is a, an international audience, those of you who might not be aware of who you are and what you've been doing um, over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, well, I became completely and utterly politically disenfranchised, uh, well, quite a few years ago. I've never been, a cons I've, I was never a Tory. I came from a Labour background. I mean, an entrepreneurial, aspirational Labour background. My grandparents owned a, a big business and employed lots of people, uh, but very much saw themselves as, as Labour voters. And I became so disillusioned. I believed in the whole new Labour thing, then I completely didn't believe in that. And, you know, but what really, really woke me up up, and I mean really woke me up was the whole COVID stuff you know I thought hang on a minute this doesn't matter if you're left or right it doesn't matter although I'm now apparently very right um you know you either believe in freedom or you don't you either believe it, you're either a libertarian or you're not and and the impact and the power of the state woke me up again and actually I, I was involved for a very brief while, very brief while, with the Reclaim Party, which is run by Lawrence Fox. Um, and then and then I had a little bit of a break. And then I was asked if I um I was well, I was asked to do this car twenty car twenty-six. We set up car twenty-six, which is climate analysis reason twenty-six at the time of COP twenty-six, to challenge all the crazy net zero net, uh, legislation because Net zero is nothing about being green. It's nothing about saving the planet. And it's everything to do with a neo-Marxist ideology to keep you at home, keep you out of your cars, keep you poor and, uh, and taxed to the high heavens. So the campaign has been really successful. And at the most recent polling that we did with YouGov um, showed that 64% of those that expressed an opinion either way wanted a referendum on net zero. Now, you know, you don't want a referendum if you're happy with the status quo. We've managed to get um, the boiler tax. It was going to be a tax on boilers because they were going to force people to have heat pumps. We've managed to get that revoked. We managed to stop a fracking well from being concreted over. We managed to pu push the um, petrol and diesel vehicle uh, ban back to 2035. Hopefully it will be kicked into the long grass now. And we've just had some amazing successes, but... As I say, it's a libertarian issue, net zero, and a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment in the UK is all about the annihilation of everything that it means to be British and our freedoms. So this is just a natural progression for me, James. Yeah, and you know, when whatever you were doing before 2020, did you did you ever think in your wildest dreams that you would um, enter politics? 
Well, um, when I was little, um, my granddad, my grandparents brought me up, and my granddad used to get well, he'd had dinner parties and things, and um, he used to say, "Oh, Lois, what do you want to do when you grow up?" And they find it quite amusing. This three-year-old saying she wanted to be prime minister and a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this has been um, yeah, this has been on the cards for a while actually. I, I used to be involved, as I said in Labour Party politics a long time ago. Um, you know, as I say, I was swept along by the whole Blair thing. You know, you can be a capitalist and you can be kind. What a load of bunkum that was. Um, but I was a teenager. You know, you have to forgive me. You know, the follies of youth yeah. and all of that. But as I say, I've got um, as many um, friends who, who support UKIP now and, uh, and Reform who, are, who were formerly Labour as Tory. Yeah, fantastic. So you basically, you're, you're living what you wanted to be when you were three. I don't think there's many people who can say that. That's fantastic. It's a, it's a different party, James. It's a different party <laughs> to what I thought I was going to be doing. But anyway, you know, I haven't, yeah. I don't think I've changed. I think that the parties don't represent anyone anymore. The Labour Party doesn't work, represent working people. The Tories are certainly not representing aspirational business people or any, you know, so I haven't changed. I don't think I've changed. Yeah. And Lois, before we're, we're going to go to the news headlines now, but quickly before we go to the break, um, political role models, idols that you you look up to. Oh, um, uh, Nigel, Nigel Farage, um, Winston Churchill. Um, I can't believe I'm saying this, seeing as I was brought up in a household that despised the woman, but Margaret Thatcher, who my granddad said posh boys only like because they like being told what to do by a woman. <laughs> I think that might be partial. <laughs> um, yeah, so in recent times, I mean, as I say, when I was 13, I thought that the sun shone out of Tony Blair's derriere, but obviously that's not the case anymore but yeah, yeah i think you you're not the only one lewis lewis I, I think a lot of people um were um i was i was skeptical of tony blair when he first came along but um you know even i at certain points thought actually this guy's all right um yeah. now i want him locked away in jail but um, that's a whole <laughs> other story right we're going to take a quick break um for the for the news headlines now but we'll um we won't be long so make sure you come stay with us right here on tnt now, dude, I have huge news. I knew it. Knew it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US fighter jets have bombed over 100 targets in three countries across the Middle East this weekend, marking a significant escalation in a conflict Washington claims it's trying to defuse. The world's top podcaster Joe Rogan has signed a new contract with Spotify worth a quarter of a billion dollars. And US House Republicans have slammed a draft border security deal released by the Senate that would also unlock over $100 billion for Ukraine and Israel. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24 7, 365. We never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk this is TNT Radio. 
Right, Lois, let's talk about UKIP more generally. Okay. So back in the 2010s, um, you had two MPs. Um, you were the largest party representing the UK in the European Parliament. Um, you had seven members of the Welsh Assembly, as it was then, here in Wales. And, of yeah. course, you had lots of councillors up and down the country. And I would, you know, I would say UKIP is the reason that we had the referendum in the UK. So an incredibly successful party um, back um, in that decade of the 2010s what went wrong <laughs> what a question I, mean... <laughs> I, I, I think there was um i think there was a lot of division i i think potentially there were people that wanted to go in certain directions that were seen as unpalatable and that the voters would not accept and and would damage their chances of getting what they wanted to happen which you know they're the only party the only party that's ever 100 percent successfully delivered on their mandate well, actually, doubly um, delivered because they got the referendum on net zero and then it was won. You know, so Nigel going, obviously, you know, that that wasn't that wasn't terrific. Um, although, you know, it is a, there are some members that feel that was a good thing. I, you know, I um listen, as I said, I've, I've been involved. I've got involved with UKIP only over the last year and um, I, I've read lots of books about it, but I. I, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, James. I was not following the whole story all the way through as and when it was happening. So I'm catching up at the moment. All I want to say is that it needs a fresh start, but 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 retaining and, and valuing all of the people that have been involved over the whole period and, and, and trying to work collegiately. But what I'd like to do is I would like to only stand candidates in seats where they don't, where there isn't a candidate that is, um, that is affiliated to UKIP values. So they have to believe in free speech. They have to be anti-net zero. They have to have, if they're a current sitting MP, they have to have voted against or done stuff to stop the small boats coming over. You know, they'd have to, I would support an MP from any party and not stand a candidate against them if they adhered to those values. But if there isn't one, then we will stand someone. We will. And we talked, didn't we, about Wales. And um, I've just, and let's, oh, let's. Lethinley. Is that the right pronunciation? Lethinley? Um, oh, Kenethley. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> but we're actually going to be standing. Um, we, we've got more members in that, in that, in that particular constituency, in that particular place, than anywhere else in the United Kingdom, because we stood alongside the people. Who, who, there's only two hotels there and one of the hotels was going to be given over to asylum seekers and because of the uh, extraordinary support from UKIP which is why as I say we've got so many members in such a small place um, we managed to get the Home Office to reverse their decision so you know we we can we uh, look, look what we did with Brexit we can do it on other issues. Net zero is obviously very big for me. And I'm repealing a lot of this EU legislation and just getting, you know, just getting out of it completely. We haven't completely, completely Brexited, if we're honest, have we? Not really. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. And yeah, it's absolutely great. I think um, what um, the voice of Wales and Stan, obviously, he's standing oh, yes, for Stan you, Stan <laughs> Yeah, absolutely fantastic the work that they've done there as journalists yeah. covering that story, raising awareness. Um, and of course, Stan is going to be standing with UKIP now. And like you said, he's got a lot of support, not just well, not just Stan, but UKIP. Yeah, UKIP in general. Um, so, Lois, I think um, 
you know, I think you'd agree with me because, you know, when when we talk about the achievements that UK did and had in the 2010s, there's no question that, um, you know, it has lost its way a little bit. I think even if we say that it might not have lost its way on policies, it's lost its way in terms of the actual support that it's getting. Um, you're running in, in the race. What what are the key? What's your vision for the party going forward? I want... I, I think the Reform Party is fantastic. And as I said, I, I would support a Reform candidate like Ben Habib, for example. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. But I do feel they that they could the, the, the appeal to working class voters could be better. And I feel that UKIP can unite former Labour and Tory voters under one umbrella. And as I say, you know. We, what I'd like to do is is to create a bit of a choice and and also to be able to to put pressure on on not just the Tories, not just Labour, but but reform as well. Because you know you know what it's like as soon as you get more. Oh my God, we could get some MPs here. You start behaving. You start doing centrist stuff. You start becoming like everyone else. So um, you know, I, I, there's definitely, definitely a role for us, the original party, the original alternative yeah. right party. Um, and you know, to to make a big difference, I think. Yeah, and I agree with you. Actually, you know, I think uh, reform um, was supposed to be. I mean, I I left reform a couple of years ago, partly for this reason because I just do think they are Tory light, um, <laughs> and I think there is a I think there is a trust issue. That's my personal view. There is a trust issue with a lot of people, particularly over the pandemic. What are your thoughts, though, are in, in terms of reform mm -hmm. um, UK and? And kind of how you think UKIP is positioned differently with those voters you're targeting? I think that we're seen as um, potentially more authentic. Um, uh, be, we are seen as a party that has got, God, this sounds absolutely horrific, but I mean it in the best possible way. Yeah, we really don't have anything to lose by saying exactly what we think and representing the views of normal British people who don't have a voice at the moment, we can actually say, no, this isn't right, and put pressure on. We can split votes so that we can make the party, uh, the parties in, in those particular seats do what we want. You know, we can be extremely, extremely impactful. I do believe we connect better to working class people, but we could actually, our heritage is that we connected to everyone, 52% of the vote. You know, that's pretty good. Or at least 52% of people anyway. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, the last four years have been huge, um, I think, politically across the world. We've seen oh, governments wow. overreach. Um, what is UKIP's position in terms of what's happened both with COVID policies, so lockdowns, etc., but also, I think, importantly, and this is one of the issues, I think, where reform has maybe lost um, a little bit of trust with a lot of voters on the vaccines. What is UKIP's position on all of that? I well, uh, okay. So I'm going to tell you what my position is because I'm running for the leadership of UKIP. So broadly speaking, of course, UKIP is against any any compulsory vaccination or any or, or lockdowns. Yeah, I am completely against compulsory vaccinations. I was completely against the lockdowns, and I was very vocal about it. I was on. Um, I, I got cancelled uh, from BBC and Channel 5 because of my views on it. I used to be on the Jeremy Vine Channel 5 show all the time and BBC 
all the time. <laughs> I, can't, yeah, I couldn't even, you know, like, the, I think the only thing I'd be able to get on is if I, I'd get arrested if I actually turned up at their building. You know, the, the closest I've been to the BBC recently, and I'd like to talk a little bit about this, the Muslim uh, rallies, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic rallies, is I went to the BBC at a fantastic uh, rally organised by the National Jewish Assembly, which was campaigning against the fact that they wouldn't use the word terrorist. And this was right at the beginning. So that was the last time I was at the BBC. But no, I'm against compulsory vaccination. As I say, that's what woke me up again. That's what got me political mm -hmm. again. And then um, we talked earlier, didn't we? I just want to just talk about this in case we in case we run out of time. But I sent you a link to a thing called um, www.themuslimvote.co.uk. And what, funnily enough, what what my strategy for UKIP is, they've got the same strategy, but in terms of mobilising the Muslim vote as a block vote. And, and you know, they say, oh, with you, it, this particular website boasts about how they have unlimited funding. Um, they've got that they're united, they're organised, they can, they can stop, they can block people winning in certain seats. You know, and the thing that made me feel a bit uneasy, well, no, not a bit uneasy, very uneasy, they said, we are now mobilised as one force. Well, oh, I wonder what could have been the thing that mobilised them. Couldn't have been the 7th of October massacre, could it? Because I hadn't seen this before. You know, the those those hate marches every Saturday, it's scary. I wouldn't want to be Jewish in the UK at the moment. It is not, not a nice place to be. I'm actually going to Israel at the end of the month for Talk TV and GB News, hosted by the NJA, to go and see for myself what happened, to interview uh, victims' families, survivors, and to visit um, soldiers in the um, in the hospitals as well, wounded ID um, IDF soldiers. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, we've got to go to another break now, um, Lois, but um, after the break, I want to talk to you about wider policies. Um, I think sort of certainly the conflicts around the world is one of those policies I'd like to talk about, not just um, what is going on in the Middle East, but also Ukraine. Immigration, of course, this is a very, very strong area for, for UKIP, but also the um, the UN, the United Nations and the WHO. Obviously, we've got the pandemic accord and the um, the changes to the international health regulations, which they're which they are proposing, which many are seeing as a power grab, just like the EU did over our sovereignty here in the UK. So I'd be fascinated to hear what your thoughts are on that also, Lois. Um, but we'll talk about all of that in just a second after this quick break here on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The cyclone that's in the north of Australia is kind of unusual for an El Nino season. That's because we have not really had an El Nino season this year in Australia. The Southern Oscillation Index, the longest running measure of the ENSO, or El Nino, La Nina, has not cooperated at all. And we knew this was a problem way back in the Northern Hemisphere fall in our spring because we weren't seeing a lot of typhoons. Usually when you have a big El Nino, you have a lot of typhoons going off and we had the third lowest typhoon production on record. So something funky was going on. However, that Southern Oscillation Index is going to crash for the month of February, which means that our fall should be average in Australia. 
Now, I'm bringing all this up because that crash in February is linked to severe cold in the United States and Europe for February into March. And we're seeing another ferocious storm attacking Norway now. A lot of heavy rain is coming into Europe over the next week. Now, the two times that happened, it turned frigid in Europe. Same thing is going to happen. Mid-February to mid-March will be frigid in Europe. You see all these storms crashing into the United States? Well, guess what? It's going to turn frigid in the United States. In fact, for much of the United States, the worst of the winter is on the way. And just think, it all hinges on looking at the weather around Australia. Isn't that nice? Hands across the water. Australia, the States, and Europe. Kumbaya. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov slash kids. The Freeman Report on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right, now, Lois, um, there's three um, sort of policy areas that I'd like to talk about. I'm sure we could do a whole show on each of them. So um, so maybe <laughs> it's a bit unfair that I'm asking you um, uh, to, to cover all of them. But, um, but anyway, I'm going to go ahead. So the first one is the WHO, the World Health Organization and the United Nations, because there are many of us in the UK and around the world that see the power, the attempted power grab going on at the moment as very, very similar to what was going on with Europe, where we've got unelected bureaucrats trying to gain powers, legal powers over the UK. What's your position? And um, I guess, does does UKIP have a position on this? Well, it's like the uh, the former Brexit MEP and colleague of yours, Lance Foreman, said about net zero. You know, this is Brexit on steroids. And I mean, if that was Brexit on steroids, then heaven knows what this is. I, I'm in complete agreement that it is very scary. Uh, the WHO has proven time and time again that they do not have their best interests, our best interests or anyone's best interests at heart, apart from the accumulation of power for themselves and more cash for themselves from all the different countries and everything. And look at the UN. Their credibility is shot now with what, with what, the way that they behaved um, and continue to behave over Israel. The fact that the majority of the members of the UN are dictators that don't allow any voting in their own countries, yet the UN votes on everything. I mean, you really, really couldn't make it up. Um, I did... Um, I've done another protest actually outside uh, against the against the UN about the um, about the lack of acknowledgement about the, the women that were raped in Israel on the seventh of October. Mm. You know, UN women. Did, I think it took them. It was it it, it took nearly I think it was nearly hundred days or something. It was a huge amount of days for them to actually acknowledge that the women had been raped in um it, you know in the Israel atrocities on the seventh of October. And um, so, yeah, I'm not a big fan of either WHO or the UN. And, um, yeah. you know, I agree with Trump probably about defunding both of them. Uh, good. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, UN women, yes, I think we can both agree that I haven't got much time for them. I mean, they've appointed the UK champion for UK women. It's a is bloke, a man. isn't it? Yeah, it's a man, yeah. <laughs> How patronising is that you for can't make what? It up. 
33 million women in the UK that none of them are good enough um, to be a champion for other women in the UK. Anyway, um, moving, <laughs> moving yeah moving along um so just finally on that on the on the un and the who there's a lot of people saying we need to exit the who you mentioned defunding there what what's your position on that my personal position is yes i would do not want to i would not have no involvement with the, with the who none whatsoever especially yeah. when you know they're trying but the whole thing about ukip was about having sovereignty sovereignty well if you can't have sovereignty over your own health and health systems, and as we found out during COVID, your own body. What 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 does it mean? What is sovereignty? It means nothing. So yeah, I wouldn't yeah. want any involvement with the WHO. Exactly right, and I'm, I'm expecting a really good answer on this, Lois, because obviously okay. immigration has always been, um, you know, an illegal immigration. Dealing with it has always been one of UKIP's strengths. Um, what are your policies these days, both on illegal and legal migration? I think legal migration is absolutely fine if it's skilled workers or people that we need for maybe for a very short period of time to do certain work seasonally or people that want to come over and really contribute. Um, great. All day long. No problem whatsoever. But I said this on uh, GB News when I announced my candidacy with Mark Dolan. Um, you know, if you've got people that are coming over on small boats from countries where you can literally book a ticket on EasyJet or Ryanair for 30 quid and they're paying five grand to come over on a boat and then they get in the hotels and then they start working with delivery drivers in London, you know, do me a favour. Um, that is an absolute joke. So I, I would obviously, and UKIP are obviously completely against any kind of illegal immigration, especially when it's rewarded. So um, it was on the front cover of the newspapers the other day that they, they've allowed them to work. Well, then what is legal? And what is illegal? It, it's all very, very weird as well. I mean, you know, they're all um, they're all tr uh, soldier age men. They're all yeah. <laughs> there's no women. There's no children. It's highly organized. They disappear straight away. Um, there's something very, very weird going on. So, yeah, we would stop the boats. We'd use the Royal Navy. And do you have a, because um, obviously we, we, you know, I think the big story, to be honest with you, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around immigration because illegal numbers are fairly small. Obviously, there's specific things we're worried about there because they're undocumented. We don't know who these people are. But legal immigration. Yeah. No, yeah, I, no yeah. I, know, I know what you mean. If everything is done above board and if there are people that we really want to be in this country. I, I, one of my big things um, with you, Kit, is about shared values. So it doesn't matter about your background or your religion or anything like that. If you share British values, which is what we talked about earlier in terms of whether we'd support specific MPs or not, and under my leadership, if I was to become the leader, you know, if you share those values, free speech, freedom, freedom of choice, um, you know, uh, all sorts of other British values, then you can, great. Come over and do jobs that we need you to do. But I mean, all this thing about students being able to bring over their relatives and all of that, that's got to change. It's awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree with you that immigration can be positive. Obviously, we, we need to fill the right jobs, make sure the right people are coming over. Um, that, that's easy to do, I guess, from a, um, well, not necessarily easy to do, but, you know, you can do that through policies um, in terms of, you know, the average wage that people have to earn when they come here, which sectors you can put quotas on and all of that. 
How would you go about then assessing whether people um, have British values and whether they should be coming here? Now that, now that is interesting. I mean, we can see, can't we, from, from the last few months um, that there certainly seems to be a very large sector of society that don't share our values. They're yeah. reveling yeah. in terrorism. Um, you know, so so maybe a good assessment could be whether they go on marches calling for the annihilation of, of, of Jews and Christians, because don't forget, the Jews are the canaries in the cage, right? When they, you know, they're being attacked, it's, it'll be Christians next, you know. So I think you, you, you get a very good assessment of whether people share our values for whether they're marching for us all to be killed um, every week on a Saturday. But I mean, on a more on a more serious note yeah okay so we we know countries that share that are more likely to share our values than other countries so yeah maybe we start picking and choosing where the people are coming from you know it it's quite scary at the moment with with what's going on uh, maybe we look at people like who's where their faiths adhere more to the ideologies of ours um you know it's, yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. I think there I think that's a fair comment it. because hmm. you know when we're doing these trade deals around the um, around the world, that is one of the things that we negotiate with those countries. You know, yeah. the, the the number of people that we will allow to to come and work um, in the UK. So, for example, with India, um, the the deal we're doing there. Let's move on though. Let's move on to net zero because I know you've done a lot of great work on 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 this, Lois. Um, what are what are your what are your um, beliefs and an understanding of climate change? Do you believe it's happening, and what do you think we should do about it? I believe the climate has always yeah. Well, I believe the climate has always changed. Uh, we've had much much warmer periods in this country during the medieval and Roman warming periods. Um, they were in the original IPCC reports, but then it became a little bit inconvenient, so they were taken out. Um, you know, there weren't many private jets in the medieval period, unless I've been reading the wrong history book. So, you know, the the climate changes; it always changes. The um, all of the you know that it's nonsense, right? Because all of the things that the, the supposed green lobby do to to um, you know to tackle climate change produce more CO2, <laughs> you know, because if they really, really, really genuinely, genuinely believed, and it wasn't just about subsidies and fat cats and pigs noses in the troughs and everything, you know, in, in the whole net, in the whole CO2 thing, we'd be fracking. Fracking in this country would mean that we wouldn't be having to transport over wood chips from America using ships with diesel and then burning them. You know, we'd be getting it out of the ground and we'd be, well, we would have fully developed our nuclear capacity. So, so you know, electric cars, it's not about electric cars. It's about getting you out of your cars. You know, the whole 15-minute city thing. I've got no no problem whatsoever with everything being like, like walking distance. That's lovely. But not when you're not allowed to leave. <laughs> not when yeah. you can't leave because you haven't got a car or your car is tracked. I mean, a friend of mine's got this thing on his car. Obviously, he's not enabled, but where, say, for example, he had a teenage son or whatever who's just passed his driving test, you can. There's this thing on the car where you can stop um, the the young person or whoever it is. It's brilliant for domestic abusers, by the way, to go out of a certain zone. Now, when we've bought, you know, the car will physically not go, will not move. Come on, if we're all in electric cars, that's terrifying. Isn't it? You can actually imagine they come up, WHO come up with another lockdown scenario. 
It wouldn't be that you mm. get caught by the police. Your car just wouldn't stop. You know, it's a very, yeah. very scary thing. So I'd abolish it net is- zero, all of the net zero stuff. It's all nonsense. That's my policy. Yeah, and you're right to to link a lot of that to freedoms because that is what is actually happening. A lot of those, um, the policies around net zero are being used to take away our freedoms. Um, finally, uh, Lois, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, okay. I don't think there's any question that broken uh, that broken is Britain. That Britain is broken. <laughs> um, I think most people um, from the country would agree that that is the case. What do you think are the main factors um, over the past few decades which have led us to where we are now well we now know don't we that blair's government what did they say they wanted to rub the rights nose in diversity and i think the uh, the absolute complete annihilation of the um the oh how would the the yeah, skilled working class you know that, that by by bringing in loads and loads of people that just flooded the markets and you know people people's jobs were taken people's identities you know were changed whole areas identities were changed you know the whole sort of permissive stuff I mean I completely and utterly one hundred percent percent agree with gay rights actually completely 100 percent. but the whole lgbtqi thing that's mm. all all of that started all of that started under blair it's all gone hills gone downhill since then and you know what going on with this this woke stuff and i i believe it's being funded actually to break us up and then the, and then we're probably going to be attacked by um by iran or, or china or, or north korea working with russia or something like that but you know all of this stuff is not any doesn't do the people on um the gay gay people any favors whatsoever and actually a lot of gay people are very against all this trans stuff and the kids stuff and all of that so i believe it started with blair is the short answer to your question yeah and sadly we have run out of time but a very very good answer blame it on blair because actually <laughs> I, th- I agree with you there's a blair has got an awful lot to answer for for this country um, obviously he I took us into <laughs> he took well i'm agreeing with you on that he took us into um you know illegal wars and did an awful lot of damage to the constitution i think of this country um ladies yeah. and gentlemen um lois perry um lois thank you so much for coming on the freeman report i'd really thank do you wish you me. luck in um the upcoming race and i'd love to have you back on sometime to tell us um how it's going or maybe you can I come will. back when you are the leader of UKIP. who knows um, but stay tuned with us right here on tnt